0: Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, we'll read through verse 30, under the heading of Stewards of Christ's Kingdom. Stewards of Christ's Kingdom, from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at the third parable in a series of parables, as Jesus is giving His sermon on the Mount of Olives. Speaking of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, For it, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went, and dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here ends the reading of God's Word this morning. May we receive it with a believing heart. Beloved congregation, as the air begins to cool and as the color of the leaves begin to change, we turn our minds from our summer vacations to our routines of study, of volunteering, and of work. And one of the things that comes with every fall season is the beginning of what we call the education season here at Trinity URC. This is our kickoff Sunday, if you will. After this morning's service, our Sunday schools will be starting up again. Catechism will be in full swing. Youth group and Bible studies and men and women societies help mark the transition from summer to fall. And I have been asked by our elders to preach on the subject of the education season, and specifically this morning, the study of sacred Scripture. And I agree with the Princetonian theologian B.B. Warfield, that of all the things that demand our attention in life, of all the things that require our time and our energies, the most important subject we can engage our minds in is the study of God's Word. And So this morning we want to consider the parable of the talents which speak of being responsible stewards of the gifts we've been given. You see, every single one of you in this room, every single human on this earth has a talent. You may find it interesting that the Greek word talent, which is a unit of measurement, is also where we get our English word for talent, which we mean a gift, right? Something that's God-given, something you're born with, which Usually refers to some ability or skill. Something I heard a lot when I was a kid was that my father was a talented cabinet maker, that he had a God given gift for woodworking. Something I didn't hear a lot as a kid was that I was talented at sports. As much as I loved sports, it wasn't my God given gift. But all of us have talent. All of us have a gift. A gift, this parable tells us, to use in service of God's kingdom. But to the Christian, we are entrusted with the greatest gift. We have been given a special talent. We have been given eternal life revealed in God's Word. Jesus in this parable reminds us that we are called not to bury our talents in the ground, not to throw your gifts away as if they're frivolous, but we are called to be diligent workers. We are called to be faithful stewards. We are called to be prudent planners with God's gift and most principally with the gift of God's Word. And so our theme this morning is this. When Jesus returns, may He find us working according to our faith. When Jesus returns, may He find us working according to our faith. I want to show you three things in this parable. Waiting for the Lord in verses 14 and 15. Working for the Lord in verses 16 through 27. And being worthy of the Lord. Verses 28 and 30. Waiting, working, and worthy of the Lord. The first thing I want to draw your attention to this morning is waiting for the Lord. You see, in uh, Trinity URC, we've been going through the book of Romans, so we need to know something of the book of Matthew this morning. See, Matthew's gospel is neatly structured. It has one big long sermon at the beginning and another big long sermon at the end. And in between, Matthew records the various things of Jesus' life and his ministry. In Matthew 5 is the record of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And then you have all of Jesus' life until Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus is now sitting on the Mount of Olives. He has wept over the city of Jerusalem. And He has gathered His disciples together and He has told them that He is going to die. He has told them that He is going to leave them on earth and that they are going to continue on His ministry in His absence. Now the point of this second bookend sermon is that Jesus is coming back. He is leaving, but He will return to review. He will turn to see their work and then to establish His kingdom. But in the time between His leaving and His returning, the disciples are given a responsibility. They're given a call, if you will. To steward, they are called to care for Jesus' kingdom. And so he tells them this story. A third parable in order to impress upon them their responsibility. Verse 14. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And we see already that the parable is mirroring the situation the disciples are in. This man is going away just like Jesus is going away. He doesn't say how long he's going away, just like Jesus doesn't say how long he is going away. And the man entrusted his servants with his property, just like Jesus is entrusting the disciples with his kingdom. And what this man entrusts his stewards with is something called a talent. Now it would have been clear to the disciples That Jesus isn't just speaking here of finances, nor is he saying that when he's gone, we need to steward the church grounds alone, although that's important. But look at what the Master gives his disciples. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Now, a talent isn't a coin or a currency. A talent is a unit of measurement, and what we're talking about here is actually a huge unit of measurement. If you flip back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25, verse 39, we are told that in the Old Testament tabernacle, remember that Exodus, the second half of Exodus is about the building of the tabernacle and how they built that golden room with the Ark of the Covenant, and in that golden room there was a gold menorah, solid gold, holding up twelve candles to represent the twelve tribes of Israel, with little cups in order to reflect the light, we are told that that large golden menorah in Exodus 25, verse 39, weighed a talent The Greek talent was said to be 60 pounds of gold. The Roman talent was said to be 70 pounds of gold. In Rome, a denarii was a day's wage and a gold talent was said to be worth 60,000 denarii. 60,000 days wages. Put it this way. To the first servant, he gives the equivalent of a 100 years' wages. To the second servant, he gives 40 years' wages. To the third servant, he gives 20 years' wages. This is an immense fortune that this master is leaving behind. He is entrusting to his servants a lifetime of work. This is his nest egg. This is his retirement, his life savings. Everything we can imagine that this master has, he gives to them. I've already alluded to it this morning, but likewise, every single one of you in this room has a talent. Not 60 pounds of gold, probably. Not money, But every single one of us is given a gift from a Master. J.C. Ryle says, a talent is anything by which we may glorify God with. The talent is anything by which we may glorify God with. He goes on, our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our possession of the Bible. All, 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 Ryle says, are talents. But this talent means more. Because... A a special talent is entrusted to the disciples. A special talent is entrusted to the church. The talent of the treasure of the Gospel. What was given to the disciples was actually worth more than a 100 years' wages. What was entrusted to the disciples was the message of eternal life. World without end. Not 60 pounds of gold. Streets of gold. Not just your retirement savings, but heaven itself. The pearl of great price. The person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what was given to them and is given to us this morning. And I'd like to add something here. That the point of this parable is not that some receive more of the gospel than others. Remember that the two servants, the two faithful servants, receive the exact same reward. Verse 21. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then again in verse 23. This parable isn't about who gets more of the gospel than others. Instead, it is a parable of encouragement to be faithful, even when the master isn't looking. To be diligent with the gospel, even when our master is in a far off land. To be careful with the kingdom, even while the king is in heaven. That's why Jesus says, the master entrusts them with an enormous fortune, and then he went away. And Jesus is a master storyteller, because in those four words, then he went away. He is inferring his own crucifixion, his own death, his own resurrection, and his own ascension. That the disciples' master was going to depart as well. And that the disciples' master is going to put all of his treasure, he's going to put a lifetime of blessing in their hands. Not just gold, not just silver, but Jesus entrusts his disciples with the good news of the gospel. A word of application. About the waiting. What Jesus is telling the disciples is that everything they have is from the Lord. All of their gifts, everything they have, comes from Him. The Apostle Paul repeats this teaching in 1 Corinthians 4, who says, What do you, he asks the question, What do you have that you did not receive? Congregation, all of our lives, everything we have is a gift from God. And you say, well, what about that Silverado truck I saved up for all those years? I earned that. But even these things, when we think about them, are gifts from God. Because we needed a job, we needed a place to be raised, we needed a society, we needed a culture in which we could have these gifts, and all of these things come from God. And we are not to be idle when someone gives such great gifts as these. See, the story quickly transitions from the waiting to the working. Immediately, the two faithful servants undertook their responsibilities that had been given to them. They don't know how much time they had and so they quickly went to work trading and investing and the story goes that the master goes away and both servants double the value of their resources. But the third servant we read buries his talent and as he is burying his talent he is also burying his job and he buries his responsibilities. And the second part of this parable I think is actually fairly clear we are all gifted differently. We all have different jobs. We all have different hobbies. We all have different talents. We could spend all day talking about them. In fact, this can be a subject in which really overwhelms our young people. We, well-meaning people, ask them, what will you do with your life? How will you be provided for? Where will you go? But there's something deeper in it than this. Young people, we need to be asking the question this parable teaches us. Is God's glory in it? I digress here for a moment, but I think it's important that we consider this, that in our free time, in the places we go, we should be considering God's glory. Honoring God in our work, is the highest calling that we have in this life. And that's what those first two masters do. Look what they say. At once they gave themselves to the business of their master. They're trading. They're investing. They're caring for the endowment so that when the master returns in verse 19, to settle accounts, they show honor. They respect their master. William Hendrickson, I think, hits the nail on the head here that the tone of this parable actually shows that they served their master well because they loved him. And they respected him. They wanted to please him. The highest call is to honor God with your life. And some people need to hear this as well from this parable. That when the Master comes to settle accounts, notice that He is not comparing the work between the three servants. This isn't a competition between the servant with five and two and one. But it is a call to faithfulness in the station where God places you. It is a call to faithfulness with the talent or the gifts that God gives you. Look at verse 19 in the settling of accounts. The master calls the first servant. He would receive the five talents to come forward, brought five more, saying, Master, you delivered me to me five talents. Here I have made five more. He doesn't exalt himself or his own success, nor does the master say, impressive. Look how much better you are than the others. The Master says, no, you did what I asked you to do. You were faithful according to your ability. Well done. Look at this verse. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Then look at the second. You delivered to me two talents. I've made two talents more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. God doesn't compare the first with the second. Nor does he compare the second with the first or the third servant. There is no comments made on the other people. The second servant did what was expected of him. Even though he was only able to handle less, the beauty of this story is that he receives the identical reward. This is an important principle that on that last day god will not keep put us in front of him and compare us with somebody else it's not about christian mother were you as good as this family or at least you're better than that family or it's not about did you go to a big church or did you go to a little church Pastor, did you save a lot of souls or did you only save a few souls? Did you baptize a lot of children or only a few? The principle is this on that last day, we will not be judged on how successful we are. We will be judged on have you been faithful? Too often, we judge our faith based on if we have a good family. Or if we are doing the right things, or going to a big church, or some other metric. But this parable is teaching us that we are rewarded by our relationship with the Master. And so to my catechism class this morning. As we will embark upon another year of study, you might feel that you are not gifted with studying. But God is not demanding here that you graduate summa cum laude with a 4.0 at the church of Trinity URC. He is asking that you would be faithful. Nobody among us is allowed to say, I am a reject. Nobody is allowed to say, I am unable. God has chosen you To serve Him in this way. It is He who ordained your life for service. He has called you by name this morning. We have only to answer, Here I am and be faithful. To my congregation, we are all called to serve according to our faith. Every single one of us is given a gift. Not so that you can be famous. Not so that you can post it on Instagram and TikTok. God gave you a gift this morning so that you could serve Him. Young people, serve your Lord by doing your catechism to the best of your ability. Come to church and worship God the Lord with all your heart. Parents, get involved in your kids' catechism and Sunday school lessons. Ask them questions. Help them fill out those answers so that their faith will grow. Get get involved in a Bible study or a society. Host people when visitors come or there's people you want to get to know. Get them into your homes and practice that gift of hospitality and don't think you retired people are exempted from serving the Lord either. Because some of the best prayer warriors I've ever seen have gray hair on their heads. All of us are called. Because you see, there's a third servant in this story who literally did nothing. He buries his master's money in the ground. Verse 18... And the picture we're given is that he takes advantage of this boss's long absence to do whatever he wants. And in reality, what he's doing is he's shirking his duty. This is further proven in the settling of accounts. He tries to deflect the responsibility onto his master. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I hid your talent. Which, of course, is not true. The master has already shown himself to be kind and gracious. The real problem here is that the first or this servant lacked fear and respect for his master. And the unprofitable servant pictures a person who hears the gospel, who hears its promises and obligations. And just like the wicked servant of Matthew 24, verses 45-51, through 51, and the foolish virgins in the previous parable, he misses the call to serve. Congregation, our Lord cannot be clearer. If you have been given this great gift of the Gospel, You have been given the call to work. To invest in it. To trade in it. To steward it. Don't bury it. May I be bold with you this morning? We are not to have a passive religious life. What does it mean to be passive? Passivity means not participating actively. A passive religious life, we all know what this looks like, is when we go to church, we go to our catechism class, we attend Bible study and we pray and read the Bible at home, but it doesn't change anything about our lives. Again, I like the way B.B. Warfield put it. He says, I'm not exhorting you to go to church. I am exhorting you to go to church. Do you know the difference? To give your presence and active participation to every meeting of worship and the function of the church. Congregation of Trinity United Reformed Church, be reminded this education season that every one of us is called to do your part to give to this church its religious life. Have you ever been to a church, and I pray that it's here at our congregation, where there is a healthy religious atmosphere? It's electric. You can feel it in the air. There is something about a certain church that gives you life. And people often think, well, that's the job of the pastor. There's nothing farther from the truth. Maybe it's the job of the elders. No, it can't be. But when people come together who are pursuing Christ together and using their gifts together and living that family life together, that's how you get that atmosphere. I trust that some of us feel that the religious life can be wearying sometimes, though. And there's no doubt that when we serve, sometimes we need to rest. I want to make sure I'm clear about that. But as Christians, we must hold fast to the principle that to give is better than to receive. And that when we give to our church, our active religious Life. When we give to the church our gifts, our time, when we steward God's kingdom, we actually are the benefactors. We draw out as much as we put in, we draw out inspiration for our own private religious life. You know where we see this so explicitly? in the life of Jesus Christ. He is God Himself, right? And yet we read in Luke 4 that He went to the synagogue as was His custom. Jesus gave His energy, His time, to the reading and the learning from the Word. If anyone could have been exempted, surely it would have been Christ. But there he was, week after week, in the pew, studying God's Word. Give your active religious life to the kingdom. Well, third and finally this morning, we just want to consider what it means to be worthy of the Lord. We have established that Christ has gone ahead of us into heaven. Until He returns, there is work to do. We are all called to use our gifts for His glory until that day. But how do we receive that verdict of well done, my good and faithful servant? Well, we see the third servant did not get that verdict. and Sometimes we struggle with this parable because we think, well, that's not really fair. Well, he only got one talent, which... Speaks to his ability. Maybe he wasn't able to multiply the talent. Maybe he was avoiding financial risk by burying it. Thought the market would take a downturn and he would be the hero by protecting the master's money. But again, William Hendrickson says this. It's not about the result. It's about the heart. That if the first Two servants served well because they loved and wanted to please God. The wicked servant failed to serve well because he actually hated the master and resented the call to serve him. Look at master, I knew you to be a hard man. But this can't be true. The Master is rich. He's generous. He's rewarding of good. And he sees right through the servant's accusation to his heart. And he says, you wicked and slothful servant. Meaning that he's lazy. He loved himself. He loved his own leisure. He had a low view of the Master and a high view of Himself. And here is the bottom line. Our view of God lies at the bottom of how we live and how we steward His gifts. Let me say that again. The bottom line is this. Our view of God lies at the bottom of how we live and how we steward God's gifts. This is why the parable ends in such a fearful way. Tone. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Castless, worthless service into the outer darkness in that place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's fearful. Because to have a do-nothing Christianity, to have a passive religious life, is actually to have a low view of Jesus Christ. I don't have to serve Him. These are my gifts, not His. Maybe you're a young person who is baptized, catechized, you've been raised in this church, and you think little of the Gospel. We need to have a high view of Jesus. We need to say with John the Baptist, He must increase. I must decrease. But how do we get this high view of Christ? Because I don't know about you, but when I look into my heart, I see too much spiritual laziness. The Bible teaches us that we can have teaches us that a low view of self and a high view of Jesus is given to us when we see our own spiritual poverty and we look to Him who is rich in salvation. The call to faithfulness is not a call to work your way up to heaven. It is a call to fall on your knees and embrace Christ by faith and to serve Him. And so that even though some were given more talents, it wasn't that they were given more of the Gospel or more faith, but they were given responsibility to serve. We have been found righteous in the person and the work of the Son. But we have also been called to serve Him according to our faith. Some of you may have five gifts Everybody looks up to you. Everybody appreciates what you can do. Some of you may have two. Some of you may have one. Let your light shine. Serve the God who has saved you with all your heart. He sees our works and He rewards us not because we are worthy, but He rewards us out of the rich abundance of Christ's reward. Those who hear, well done, and good, my good and faithful servant, are those who fall on their knees and embrace Jesus and seek to serve Him every day of their life out of love and out of thankfulness. So in conclusion, this education season, a lot is expected of you and of us. Much is going to be demanded again this year from my catechism students especially. Very well, let us resume our task with courage and with Christian sense. And in case any difficulties await us, let us not begin with laziness. Let us begin with humility. For our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He made us servants that we might serve this gracious and generous Master until He returns. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we give You thanks that You have given us the treasure of the Gospel and many gifts and many talents. And You have also called us to serve You in such a way to use all those gifts, those talents, and especially the Gospel of Your Kingdom. We pray for this year that You would add Your blessing to it, that You might bless the servants in the work of their hands, That through us you might build your kingdom here, Trinity United Reformed Church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.